Welcome to this podcast from the Discovery Institute's Center on Human Exceptionalism. I'm David Bowes, your host. A self-identified environmental movement is organizing in order to internationally criminalize pursuit of profit which arises out of destructive activity. This new crime would be called ecocide and would confer rights onto animals, plants, and the earth itself. Here to talk about the dangers of this concept is award-winning author and Discovery Institute senior fellow Wesley J. Smith. What is ecocide? Ecocide is a new concept being pushed in very high places that would criminalize resource development. Of course, it means killing the earth. But what it would really seek to do is to make it so that large-scale developers of natural resources and, for example, oil, could be put in the Hague as an international crime against peace. In fact, the promoters of ecocide want it to be the fifth international crime alongside genocide and things like ethnic cleansing. Does this mean any free market organization, any exploitation of resources would qualify as ecocide? Well, the definition's a bit vague, but let me read to you the definition and then your listeners can see what's really going on here. On the This Is Ecocide website, this is how it's defined, quote, Ecocide is the extensive destruction, damage to or loss of ecosystems of a given territory, whether by human agency or other causes, to such an extent that peaceful enjoyment by the inhabitants of that territory have been severely diminished. Now, there are two things to think about that. First, we don't know the definition of, quote, territory. But understand that when they talk about inhabitants, they're not talking about human beings. They're talking about flora and fauna. So that if a resource is developed in a territory, whatever that might be, and there is, quote, extensive disruption to the local flora and fauna in the development of that resource, that would be deemed an international crime against peace. When you say flora and fauna, does that also include animals? And my understanding from checking out their site was that they also had a problem with extracting fossil fuels from the ground, which might not really impact very much uh, above ground at all, but that was still supposed to be an ecocide. So do inanimate objects also qualify somehow as having rights? You know, it's quite possible because there's a concurrent movement to give, quote, rights to nature equal rights as those of humans, including a quasi-right to life. So it becomes very interesting to see how human beings can thrive and prosper. In fact, this is an anti-human movement, both the rights of nature and ecocide, because what it seeks to do is thwart human development of resources and human agency in the natural world and developing of lands, precisely because human beings are deemed to be the villains of the planet, and we have to protect the flora and fauna as co-equals. On the Ecoside website, for example, you mentioned energy extraction. They say ecocide is a crime of consequence, e.g. where the energy company produces its energy by extracting fossil fuels as opposed to creation from renewable energy that could result in ecocide. But there are a lot of environmentalists who say wind farms are ecocide because wind farms with their turbines and so forth kill millions of birds. Right. I mean, we're beginning to eat our own tails here. When you described their definition of ecocide, one of the things that was stated there was that all these other creatures and flora and fauna would have to have peaceful enjoyment of that. Did they define peace? Because every nature video I've ever watched and every experience I've had in nature, one of the things that I observe is that there's a constant struggle in nature and that things are killing other things all the time. 
Oh, don't confuse them with facts. <laughs> <laughs> but the reason they bring peace in is they say, well, if we continue to commit ecocide or ecocide, this could also result in human wars, wars of resources, and so forth. It's very interesting. They've already, to show you how far this movement has gotten, they held a mock trial in the chambers of the Supreme Court of England and Wales. I mean, that's not a small venue. Right. In which two corporate CEOs, and of course this is very anti-free enterprise and very anti-corporate, in which two CEOs of corporations were found guilty of ecocide. Those CEOs were the developers of the Alberta tar sands. So that shows you we're not talking about something like the Exxon Valdez here, where there's a terrible spill and you have pollution and so forth. We are literally talking about the necessary production of natural resources and use of natural resources to promote human wealth and prosperity. This would lead to terrible poverty and diminishing of the quality of human life. What kind of punishments did they want to inflict on these uh, CEOs who helped develop the Alberta tar sands? Well, they had two of the CEOs. One was repentant and one wasn't. The one that was not repentant got four years. Wow. And the one who was repentant uh, was supposed to engage in kind of remedial recompensation of nature for the terrible uh, ecocide committed in the development of the tar sands. So, you know, all the monies of the companies would have to be moved to uh, promoting nature and, and so forth. What they don't tell their followers is that these companies, after they have exploited the natural resource, remediate the area to return it to a proper natural environment. Of course, that's part of what should be done in terms of developing resources, but not under the threat of crime and not under the threat of jail. Who brings forward the case against the supposed eco-criminals, and who are the lawyers representing? Well, <laughs> that's very interesting. I'm not sure how that would work. Assuming that uh, it became a treaty in the U.N. like they want, the same people who uh, bring ethnic cleansers to trial in The Hague would be bringing the evil ecociders into uh, prosecution in The Hague as well. Under nature rights, anybody is allowed to bring a lawsuit against a despoiler of nature or the violator of the rights of nature. For example, Santa Monica has passed a nature rights law and ordinance in the city. Now, I'm from Los Angeles. I know Santa Monica very well. There's no nature left in that city. But that point aside, anybody could then bring a lawsuit to preserve and protect the rights of nature. So what you have with nature rights and ecocide are the shield and the spear. The shield of nature rights allows the ideologues who are very well funded to come forward and bring lawsuits to prevent the extraction of resources. For example, Pittsburgh passed a nature rights ordinance as well, and the point of that is to make sure that there's no fracking for natural gas within the city's limits. If that doesn't work, you then have the spear of ecocide, which would criminalize the extraction of natural resources. But, of course, if that ever passed, you wouldn't have these companies doing the extraction of natural resources because nobody would want to go to The Hague. And suddenly we'd be left trying to figure out how to heat our homes, how to cook anything. Exactly. How to the car. I, you know, Polly Higgins, she's a, an environmental lawyer. She's been allowed to speak at the General Assembly of the United Nations. She travels the world pushing this ecocide nonsense 
And if she got her way, it would destroy the ability of the airplanes and the jets and so forth to obtain fuel that allow her to travel the world. It's extremely bizarre. The even greater concern to me is what would happen to the destitute of the world? You know, there are a lot of destitute people, and because of cultural issues and so forth, they've not been able to extract the bounties of natural resources in their areas. Under nature rights and ecocide, they never will be allowed to. And so basically what I see ecocide doing is maintaining and promoting the continuation of destitution. You even see uh, in some conferences some indigenous people coming in. I remember one, I, I wrote about it on my blog. The fellow says, I only live in a hut, but I love my land. Well, there are 7 billion people on this planet, and we all can't live in huts. Right. And we all can't just live like Aboriginal peoples or the Native Americans did uh, off the land, uh, you know, before the pioneers came forward and so forth. People would die. People would starve. People would live short, miserable lives. And it's very concerning that the idea of conservation, which, of course, is a very noble idea of making sure you have sustainable yields and you use resources in a proper manner so that our posterity will continue to be able to benefit from the wealth that we can produce from the earth. That idea of conservation and even just preventing pollution seems to be passe today. Today, it is preventing the very activities that allow a modern world. Yeah, I was about to object to the idea that uh, living primitively would be better for the environment anyway, since you know you have a lot of uh, clear-cutting of forests and other things that happen when people don't have prosperity. No, of course. And when you are thrown into survival mode, you're not going to care about the environment and what you do to it. The ecocide proponents, uh, you wrote that they reject conservationism. It's not that they want to take it one step beyond. They reject it outright. What part of their ideology causes them to reject something that so many people would embrace? Well, because conservationism actually, it's kind of like the difference between animal rights and animal welfare. Conservationism permits and accepts the idea that human beings have the right to exploit the bounties of the earth for our benefit and welfare. And conservation is about making sure that we do so in a way that is both responsible in terms of environmental damage, but also preserves resources for future generations. Animal rights is the same thing. Animal welfare says, yes, we have an obligation to treat animals humanely, but we have the right to domesticate animals and to use animals for our welfare. Animal rights says no. Animal welfare, because it permits the use of animals, is wrong and immoral. And ecocide and nature rights is the same thing, basically, that because conservation says humans have the right to exploit the earth for our benefit and thriving, that that is wrong and immoral. When you see nature as co-equal to human beings, when you reject human exceptionalism, that's the kind of tail-eating craziness that you get into. One of the things that seems to be the case on their website is that they're making this moral equivalence to genocide. Ecocide is the same as genocide. Right. What significance should we put on that? How anti-human that is. If you think that developing the oil tar sands is the moral equivalent of Auschwitz, then you have really become misanthropic and have lost the ability to think critically. You know, I've been to Auschwitz. I've been to Birkenau. 
I've stood in a gas chamber. I've seen the crematoria. I've walked that horrible rail terminus at Birkenau in which Jews were divided, one group to go into the slave labor camp and the other for immediate extermination. And any movement that can't tell the difference between exploiting nature and developing resources and genocide has no business preaching morality to anyone. Final question for you. Who is behind promoting this concept? That's a very interesting uh, question that I haven't totally investigated, but you do see a lot of very radical Greens, a lot of them coming out of the United States and the West, working with some indigenous people, and there's a lot of communism involved in this. For example, Ecuador, which is a left-wing dictatorship, has created this idea of nature rights in their constitution. And so you have kind of this strange mix of uh, anti free marketers, anti-corporatists, pro-Marxists, who are using uh, green as the new red, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, And what's really ironic is the most environmentally unfriendly societies in the world have been the Marxist countries like China and the Soviet Union. Right. And it always happens that way. That's what's so amazing. It's funny, in Ecuador, where they created the rights of nature, some indigenous people said, okay, we don't want you government to create this gold mine in our mountains because that violates the rights of nature. Well, you know, the rights of nature only works if the powers that be in the communist state or the dictatorship don't want to exploit nature. So they just got mowed over, not killed. But that whole objection was just dismissed by the very people who had put the rights of nature into the Constitution. Yeah, it's targeted toward the capitalist. Of course uh, it is. Right. It is not only anti-human, but it is anti-corporate and it is anti-capitalistic. And it is promoting this fantasy that we can have uh, a equal results world. But what that will do is promote poverty, as Marxists always do. Marxist countries end up in poverty and end up in tyranny. And that's what these movements will also do if they're allowed to continue. Wesley J. Smith, thanks so much for making the time. Thanks very much. I appreciate it. Wesley J. Smith, Discovery Institute Senior Fellow, recently published a story on this subject in The Daily Caller. That concludes this podcast for the Discovery Institute's Center for Human Exceptionalism. If you've enjoyed this program, please consider supporting the Discovery Institute. Go to discovery.org and click the Donate tab. This podcast is copyright 2012, the Discovery Institute. All rights reserved.